time, everybody. It is time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today, we're having another one of our... Deep Conversations. Actually, it's the second part of a two-part conversation that I had with Todd Wilson about his new book, The Enneagram Goes to Church. Now, Todd Wilson is the president for the Center for Pastor Theologians, and he is he's a scholar, he's a family man, he, he loves God, and surprisingly, he's funny, even though he maintains that he's not. And we had a great time together as we did talk about the Enneagram, because the Enneagram seems to be everywhere we turn today, and there's churches that are really into it, actually members of small groups. I've heard so many different conversations of people asking about it, and I know that there are many people out there that are skeptical about the Enneagram. But if God's truth, or if all truth is God's truth, then we need not be afraid of it, no more than we need to be afraid of the five love languages. It's simply a way of seeing in and understanding ourselves and hopefully being utilized for the glory of God. Is it necessary for our Christian walk? No, but neither are the five love languages. They are just simply there as tools to help us understand how we think, how God made us, and how we might be able to understand ourselves and those around us so that we might be able to serve them to the glory of God. And I want you to listen in to this episode and this conversation that I had with Todd and to let you know that today's episode is brought to you in part by Derek Eastman Insurance Agency. If you are looking for life, home, or auto insurance, insurance, then Derek Eastman is your guy. Get a free quote from Derek Eastman in Sugar Grove, Illinois at 630-466-1144. That is 630-466-1144. Now let's get after it. Happy listening. So how do you integrate that with some of the, and this is one thing I, I, as I was reading the book, I thought, okay, we talk about Myers-Briggs, I've done the DISC test, you've done the, uh, you've done strength finders and you have the Enneagram and, 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 or even the love language, spiritual gifts. Yes. And each one of these to me is just a different lens that adds to the awareness of who one is and the benefit of understanding why we lead the way we do, why the way we love the way we do, why we do what we do, while at the same time trying to uh, shore up our weaknesses, if you will. So how do those, or is there, I don't want to say, is there a resource to put all these together? Because someone needs to create that. um, So I don't have to go to all these multiple websites. But, (laughs) But how does the Enneagram fit within that? I mean, is it more holistic? Because I, I look at the DISC test and I and 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 it changes through time. I, I've no, I've taken the test. I don't know how many times over the years, and there are certain core st- things that stay. But I notice things shift over time. Does the Enneagram, and I think you referred to this a bit earlier, does it shift over time? Now you said Suzanne St- Beal said that there is the wing we have when we're younger and when we're older. Or do we do we create a shortfall? I mean, do we do we shore this up? Or uh, yeah, elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah, a couple of things there. I mean, one is the other tools that you mentioned, and I and I've got a file on my computer where I've got all these tools. I love these things. <laughs> I've taken lots of these <laughs> strengths finders, disc, M core, 
flipping profile, Hogan assessment. I've done them all. I've done wow. them all. And they're and they're all they all basically point in the same direction. I mean, there's not a big surprise. I don't like come come out dramatically different in name. They all are sort of like pointing to the same person, namely me. Uh, and they're all have been helpful in illuminating and enlightening. Um, they they do have different kind of philosophical approaches. So DISC, for example, is really about work behavior, like your behavior at work is the focus of this. So you can change. It would be more susceptible to, to you, you adapting and changing over time with disc, um, than, than something like the Enneagram Travis that doesn't, it, that talks about behavior, but the Enneagram is primarily interested in motivation. And this, by the way, is a pro tip for all your listeners. The Enneagram is you, people that start into the Enneagram are, are thinking primarily about how the Enneagram describes my behavior. I'm a one because I do these kinds of things. I'm a three. I must be a three because I do these kinds of things. Little truth confession is I when I first looked at the Enneagram, I thought it was a three, not an eight. I thought it was an achiever, not the challenger like I am, because I was focusing on behavior, how you present in terms of behavior, not motivation. This is one of the geniuses of the Enneagram. And while I think it's it's the perhaps the most helpful of these tools, is it drives us to thinking about our motivational pattern. And in particular, thinking, feeling, and doing. These three dimensions of human beings and how we put those three dimensions together is the way our is our personality. I mean, this is the Enneagram theory of personality is how you put together thinking, feeling, and doing, which is surprising, by the way. I mean, I've, I've read a lot and been around a lot of Enneagram, and people talk about thinking, feeling, and doing, but I haven't heard too many people in Enneagram world teachers just say very plainly, this is why there are nine Enneagram types, not six or 15 or four, because there are three dimensions times three comes up with nine different personality types, the way you put these three dimensions together. Um, and that, Travis, is where the gold is in my view. I have a chapter in the book, and uh, uh, at the front of the book, on this, about how you navigate life with either thinking, feeling, or doing. You lead with one, you support with another, and you drop or, or don't use a third. So you might lead with thinking, support it with feeling, and then you'll drop doing, let's say. I'm an eight, so I lead with doing. I step into a room, and I immediately intuit in my gut what should be done, what I should do, how I should respond, where the power dynamics are. That's just, it's just the way I see the world as an eight. I back it up then. My secondary sort of support for that is thinking. And so I'm very good at strategizing, rationalizing, justifying what it is I want to do, <laughs> which by the way is so relevant for pastoral ministry. I remember an elder saying to me at an elder board after several years at, at, at Calvary saying, Todd, why do you always come to every elder board meeting with a gigantic argument for what it is you want to do? We're all, he, said, he was basically saying, we're all friends here. We love you. We're on your team. <laughs> Travis, what I didn't see, because I didn't know the Enneagram, is I didn't realize what he was saying to me was, you come in wanting to do. You're proposing something we should do. And then you cannot help yourself but have 35 reasons why we should do what it is you feel like we, you want to do and we should do as a church. What, what, what was going on there was me just kind of living in my personality as an eight, and I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But I drop as an eight. I drop feeling. So I lead with doing. I support with thinking. I drop feeling. So it is, if you, it is very hard for me to slow down and ask myself, 
What do I feel about that? How does that make me feel? What's going on inside of me? Katie, my wife, she will ask me, particularly now that we're we're fairly well versed in the Enneagram and we use it a lot in our own relational dynamic. She'll say to me, so, you know, I'll say, hey, Katie, I'm, th- you know, honey, I'm thinking about blah, 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 blah. And she'll say, well, how do you feel about it? You know, what do you feel about it? And I'll kind of mumble around, like, well, you know, and, then, and, and now my answer is usually, Travis, I just say, I have no idea what I feel about it. <laughs> Now, you know, it's interesting, and I know that there'd probably, I'd like to see research done on this, because I, I I wonder with the Enneagram, and though it's an ancient practice, you referred to the Desert Fathers, of course, they were in, you know, Turkey and uh, Cappadocia, and, and you know, it's 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 an ancient practice, It's it's been in different aspects of the world, but I do wonder how the Enneagram plays within different cultures. Um, we had Jason Georges on and he talks about the different worldviews, like an honor, shame culture, an innocence, guilt culture, or a, a culture of uh, fear power. And I, I do wonder if there are some ethnic issues because certain ethnic groups ref- see things different. They have different cultural values, yes. how you're raised. And I'm really curious on how that plays. Have you had any idea or heard of anyone doing something like that? Or did you encounter that at any of your research? Uh, no, the, the, the truthful short answer is not really, okay. not really. I mean, the question has come up, uh, you know, in different settings I've been in and, and, uh, where people have been teaching about the Enneagram. I did a year long cohort with Suzanne Stabile, my wife and I did, uh, kind of under her tutelage and, and the question came up in that context. And, uh, I don't know that there's a ton of, of research, you know, uh, on it. Um, uh, but I, I, I think I would say, you know, uh, there are, three ways of, of being in the world, mm-hmm. thinking, feeling, and doing. Yes, yes, and yes, that's yeah. universal to human nature. There's not going to be some culture we're going to discover where they're going to not do thinking, feeling, and doing, <laughs> right? You know, and, and then you go from that, you know, very simple sort of theory of personality. You go from that to how do you put those three things together? And different cultures do it differently. And they, and, and I think I, I, I would imagine it would be the case. Like if you're in an honor shame culture, there, you know, that may impact the way you put thinking, feeling, and doing together, where there may be more feeling types in that culture or less feeling types in that culture, depending on how, you know, I mean, I, I could see something like that. I mean, that would require a lot of research and to get into it, but I could just see those sorts of things playing out or, um, you know, a, a, a fear-based culture like our late modern world in the West, where there is just fear all the time. Yeah. Gosh, everywhere. But also Travis, there's anger. I mean, we are very angry. You know, there's this, um, this fellow, I just got his book. Um, the age of anger is the title of the book. I can't remember. It's an Indian, uh, age of anger. Uh, Well, anyways, um, but we're very angry culture as well. So, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know how that interacts or, or plays with with body triad eight nine ones who have anger as a driving animating emotion. I, I'm not sure the answer to that one. Now you, it, it is hard to tell because we are all these things you mentioned that just how we go about doing and thinking and feeling and going back into the church here for a moment. You also talk about that in the context of worship and and. I, yes. Having been in a church where we had many different cultures and we tried different worship styles, we would have hymnody and contemporary choruses, and we would try to add gospel music. And I, I mean, it, it was very different because we had such a different group of ethnic 
uh, makeup. And we wanted to highlight and celebrate each of those. And we wanted to learn from one another and try not to let one dominate as best that we possibly could. But how does the Enneagram really influence our worship? Yeah, great question. I think it gives you eyes to see what's happening in your worship service and in your liturgical or worshiping tradition, right? Every church is part of a tradition of one kind or another. Maybe it's more formal, maybe it's less formal. Maybe it's what we call low church worship style, which is, to put it very crassly, four songs, an offering, and a sermon. Or it can be a high church liturgical, more quote-unquote liturgical approach, which is is set prayers and hymns, et cetera, et cetera, um, usually culminating that kind of a worship service in, in communion where the sermon has moved forward in, and it's not the culminating point. Anyways, it, the Enneagram um, helps you see your particular worship service of your local church and, and the tradition you're part of with fresh eyes and to help you, um, you know, ask really good questions about it. Like, does this worship service... Um, Draw upon, lean into, um, um, give vent to thinking, feeling, or doing. And I think I think probably a lot of listeners say, well, yeah, I think all of them. But I suspect if you look carefully and kind of sit with that question, you might say, you know, primarily it is oriented around thinking, my worship service of our church, or feeling, or perhaps doing, right? And so I talk about in the book the three streams, and that's not original language to me, three streams of, of worshiping tradition. It's, it's sort of parlance used in, in different places. But the evangelical, liturgical, and charismatic, um, and each of those sort of, I argue, is kind of oriented around either thinking, feeling, or doing. The evangelical, which is the kind of Bible church tradition, as well as the more reformed expository preaching tradition, that's oriented around thinking. Where the high point of the worship service is an expository message or a Bible teaching message where that gets people to really think and apply the Bible and dig into God's Word on and on and on. Primarily about thinking. Uh, liturgical services, right? In the Catholic tradition, Episcopalian, Anglican traditions, and, and, and other kinds of some sorts of Presbyterian traditions. Um, it's a lot more about doing. Like you show up at that service and you're not you're not standing for a few songs and then sitting down and listening to a 45 minute sermon passively. You're up and down and up and down and kneeling and going forward and you know crossing yourself and all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of action, and it's really is liturgical, which literally is the work of the people. Uh, it's more oriented around doing. And then, of course, the charismatic tradition, which is you're not sure what anybody said about anything. You're not even sure you understood <laughs> anything. But, man, you were white hot with some emotion. Mm. And you met the Lord there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're like crying and people getting saved and on and on. Obviously, I'm characterizing a little bit. But I think your listeners will get the point. These three different streams of tradition. And and these aren't hard and fast, right? I mean, I know, you know, I know at Calvary, we try to, as you were describing your church, you know, we try to draw in these different The Enneagram helps you see these dynamics a little bit better and ask good questions. And at the end of the day, Travis, we want to grow through the worship service. We want to grow mature, maturing believers and followers of Jesus. And a maturing believer is someone who has an integration of thinking, feeling, and doing. And so I think a maturing worship service has an integration of thinking and feeling and doing. What that looks like in your particular worship service with your particular religious kind of Christian tradition, that's going to be for you and your elders and your team to kind of prayerfully figure out. I don't. I wouldn't want to try to prescribe that or you know 
Um, but but it's it, that's the question it seems to me to ask. So one of the things we did at Calvary was we talked about tension-filled worship. Whoa, tension-filled. Like we don't want tensions. No, we mean the good kinds of tensions where we, we're trying to get things in balance. Or I like the word better, integration. We're trying to integrate things that aren't normally integrated, like spontaneous and planned. Yeah. Some churches are all spontaneous, and they've never seen a, a written pr- prayer ahead of time because that would squelch the spirit. And other churches would never do anything spontaneous because it will be half-baked and low-brow and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, we try to do both and live with the tension of that. And that's just one way of capturing this dynamic of, of ordered and, and, and spontaneous. Is another way of talking about thinking and feeling, it seems to me, largely. Spontaneous being a little more feeling and ordered being a little more thinking. And, and so we try to live with those tensions. And I would commend that to other churches. Try to live with healthy tensions. Well, and all of that can be gospel-centered. So there's not, I mean, there's not just, you hear, when I hear the term gospel-centered, I always want, and I hear churches say that, and I hear people say that, and then I always want to know, well, what does that mean? How do you define that? And, yes. and oftentimes they say, of course, Christ is at the center, but it's how that plays out, you know, and what's the methodology or the philosophy that's behind it and that you incorporate and stylistically, because oftentimes people do marry that specific methodology or philosophy to that, to that idea. And, and sometimes it's like, well, no, there can be different aspects to that, that you could apply. Now, going back though, one of the things that you said was the church takes on the, oftentimes takes on the personality of the pastor or the Enneagram type of the pastor. Describe what that means. Cause I hear that and I go, okay, that explains the reason why certain pastorates are really short. If they they followed they followed a, a really well known pastor who had a certain type of enneagram and the church took that on, and then this yes. other guy comes in and he doesn't fit that, and it, there's an immediate tension and conflict. But just describe and elaborate on what that means when a church takes on the pastor's enneagram type. Yeah, great, great question, great question. So the the basic insight here is that and I'm going to use kind of abstract philosophical sounding language, but just bear with me for a second here and and listeners bear with me. Open dynamic systems need to regulate themselves in order to work. Open dynamic systems like a colony of ants or a family like mom, dad, and three children or a business or a church. It's an open dynamic system. It's fluid. It's changing. It's it's act. You know, um, it's got multiple people in in this one entity called a, uh, a you know a church or a business or a, or a family or an ant farmer or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way it hangs together is it needs to self regulate to keep from spinning off in a million different directions. That self regulating influence tends to come from the leaders of whatever that entity is that set the patterns and rhythms and expectations and norms and customs of whatever that entity is. So the mom and dad of a family or the CEO and C-suite executives of a business, the founder or whatever, or the pastor, pastors and elders of a church. They have to set all these different sort of precedents and protocols, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to regulate this entity. That, in my view gives whatever that entity is a kind of personality over time. And the personality will be connected to the personality of the one, the primary influencer in that system. 
So that's what I mean when I say churches are like families in the book. I have a chapter of churches are like families. Like churches regulate themselves just like families do. And they they take on the personality type over time of the driver, the main influencer, the lead influencer, uh, which is usually the senior pastor in a local congregation. Um, and you can pick it up all over the place. I mean, I, I've seen this in the churches that I've been a part of um, as as a as a member or a, a junior, you know, on staff and at Calvary during my ten years there. The church became increasingly more like my personality and less like my predecessor's personality. And and to your point, Travis, there was some heartburn about that. <laughs> mm. There was a lot of heartburn about that because my predecessor was was much loved by the congregation and a very different personality than mine. Very different personality. And so you know how this goes. Oh, you know, everybody's excited when you're the new pastor. And then all of a sudden kind of time goes on. It's six months in, you're a year in, you're a year and a half in, you're two years into your new pastor. And people are starting to remind you of what the old pastor used to be like. <laughs> mm, yeah. And they're kind of realizing that the whole, you know, how would they put it? Like the vibe, the feel, the culture, the whatever of the church is now different. And what are they talking about? They're talking about the personality of the church is I think what they're talking about. And that's super important for us to be aware of, I think, as pastors and for congregants to be aware of. It's one of the hardest things about pastoral transitions is the personality change of the church. I don't see a lot of churches, though, research that yet. It still hasn't gotten into the the search firms and the church search committees where they're looking at the Enneagram and even noticing the transition between that. Um, and I think that if they were to adopt that, that would be very helpful in understanding the personalities and even teaching that to the I don't know how much you relate that to the the congregation per se, but it might be helpful. And how do you how do you think that a church should try to enneagrate the enneagram into its into its way of doing things? I mean, how do you how do you suggest churches go about that? Yeah, great question. Great question. I think my general counsel here would be that they proceed. Uh, leadership of churches proceed cautiously and patiently and slowly. I wouldn't advise, you know, if you're a pastor listening to this podcast, I wouldn't, and you'd love the Enneagram, I wouldn't necessarily advise you all of a sudden run off and start, you know, putting Enneagram labels and Enneagram stuff all over your church and all over every staff person's door and everybody's got a name badge, you know, that says, you know, hi, I'm Joe and I'm a three wing four or something. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? I just didn't put that I, on, know, the, I, on the name tag at church. You know, church. Yeah, I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I just think I, I, I do know of a church. I do know of a church that I, I you know, that, that really has benefited from the Enneagram and they did put on the, on the name plates for all their staff members you know, underneath their name, they put their Enneagram type. So I read that. Go into that yeah. Person's, yeah, when you go into that person's office, you just are gently reminded that you're talking potentially to a very different kind of creature than you, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and that's helpful. That's lovely. I just, I am, I am a little, uh, you know, evangelical Christianity is, can be uh, because it's in American culture, and American culture is quite faddish. It can be very trendy, very faddish because it's such a shared popular culture in America. So that if, if you know, a bunch of influencers think something's cool, next thing you know, a hundred million people think it's cool yeah. in like two days, yeah. two days. Literally, literally, it's incredible. We lived in England for three years. We got out of American culture. And then when we come back and visit, this was one of the most striking things was just how 
enveloping popular culture is in America and how faddish things can be and how everybody can be a buzz with something. Um, and, and I, and, 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 and so I, and I think the evangelical Christianity and churches can be, and Christians can be vulnerable to this sort of tendency of what's the latest, greatest, newest, coolest, funnest thing. And let's all buzz out on it. And it can be a bit of a distraction. And the Enneagram can be that. And I know some of my more anxious brethren about the, you know, are anxious about the Enneagram for precisely this reason. Like, oh gosh, this is the next fad. Geez, do we have to do another fad? Can't we just talk about the gospel and the forgiveness of sins and the mission of the church? And I, and I get all of that. I really do. I, 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 so I would just caution churches not get too carried away with getting all Enneagram, you know, crazy. Um, but start slowly um, and, and, and maybe what I would suggest, Travis, is let the insights of the Enneagram kind of, um, embrace those, appropriate those, utilize those and live out those in helpful ways. And maybe don't need, you, you don't necessarily need to broadcast that it's, yo, you got this from the Enneagram. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, why don't you just take on board thinking, feeling, and doing and how the patterns are to our personalities. So there's different types of personalities in our congregation. We should be sensitive and thinking about that without necessarily talking about Enneagram all over the place. That, that, might, that might be an unexpected response to your question from a guy who's trying to, you know, promote a book. <laughs> See, that's what, taking the Enneagram to church. <laughs> so, <laughs> Don't buy my book, <laughs> listener. Well, that's why I was laughing. I'm like, you are such a better man than I am. My first response would be, call Amazon, you know, go online to that's Amazon. Right, the right. Enneagram goes Every to church. Every small group at your church needs this book. Buy it by the no. case. You will be blessed. No. <laughs> Get no, it for your no, no. <laughs> Truthfully, I, I just, I just, I, I don't want people getting all enneagram ridiculous. I really don't. I, I would love for it's them a tool. to be serious. That's exactly right. It's, it's, and and the way I put it in the book actually is, is wisdom tradition. It's a wisdom tradition. I like that yeah. kind of tool. Tool yeah. is kind of modern and mechan, you know, and kind of toolish, right? <laughs> wisdom tradition. You know, seriously, wisdom, wisdom tradition. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. But wisdom, wisdom is something you live with and live into a tool is something you pick up ad hoc utilize and drop and move on dude that's like scuba deep <laughs> do you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah like even you say that i'm like i gotta write that down that needs to be on a t-shirt <laughs> like, i mean talk about the fad than a popular culture but that's too it's something you, and how did you say that you lean into I, wisdom is something you i don't know what i said <laughs> it's recorded I, I, I didn't write it down i didn't i didn't I, I just came up with it on the spot believe it or not uh, <laughs> i love that's the best inspiration my, my I, i'll say that with my kids and i'll say something like that was profound repeat it and i'm like you know it doesn't it doesn't strike twice come on you need to be paying attention I, I think I think it's live into and live out. Wisdom is something you okay. live into and live out. And that was basically what I was saying, Travis, when I said, don't go out and buy a bunch of Enneagram books and get T-shirts and tell everybody they're threes and sixes and fives and, oh, we've got to have small groups according to Enneagram. <laughs> Rather live – what I said was – but I'll use these words now – live into the wisdom the Enneagram has to offer and then live it out in your ministry and in your congregation. And you don't necessarily need to label it. Okay. I like that. And particularly if you own it, that is to say you've really imbibed it and, and appropriated it as wisdom, right? As wisdom that you you really have. You don't need to use the labels. If it's helpful to use the labels, then go use the labels. And if you need to teach people about it, then use the labels. But 
you know, it's just like notes on a keyboard, right? You want you got to teach people notes on a keyboard until they know how to play, and then you got to get rid of the notes, and you just get on with it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's that's the way I think about it. because again, sorry, Travis. Last thing I'll say, and I, I, you, you know I'm loquacious, so forgive me for this, but um, is at the end of the day, the enneagram is let me shift metaphors is a window into or onto the human person. Mm. Don't let it become an idol. Let it become, as it were, an icon that you see through to the reality of of what it means to be a human being. Rather than the idol and the fixation, your gaze stops with the Enneagram. Let your gaze go through the Enneagram to human beings. That's maybe the bur- the main burden I have for the Enneagram. Oh, that's good. I, re- I, I really like that. Um, now, is that scuba deep? That, it, is that's that scuba, scuba deep? deep. That's bubbles, man. That's bubbles. <laughs> that's oxygen tank. That's scuba deep. Now, um, one, one, now I got two more pieces here. The, 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 the second to last one is this. Uh, now, and, and I think you've really elaborated it, but I, I had a pastor that when I interacted with, with him and you would present anything that you'd be really excited about, he would say these words. I don't buy it, you know, and, and, and I got, and this is where he's an eight. I mean, he's an, he's an, I think he's an eight and he's going to challenge it. And he would love to argue. I mean, he would take, he was like Bobby Fisher. I don't know if you ever remember that movie, Bobby Fisher. Yeah, yeah. And they showed clips of him playing chess with all these different people in the room. He's carrying on arguments with every single person around the table. And it's a separate argument and he's having so much fun. And if, mm. and if you come at him with this, He's going to say, I don't buy it. What do you say to that that leader, that Christian out there now saying, you know, we've survived without this for thousands of years. It's just a fad. We don't need it now. I, I don't buy it. How, how do you respond? Well, this may surprise you again, but I would say, well, that's great. You don't have to buy it. That's cool. God love you. I mean, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> that's what I would say. I would just say, no big deal. You don't want to do the Enneagram. That's totally fine. It's totally fine. Your publishers but right now are I, saying, "Don't say they're that." Crying. They're all crying. No, that's right. They're all crying. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I would say this: like uh, two things, maybe. One is we do all of us have to reckon with the reality of personality. Yes, yes, that's very true. That is a given. That is a given. That some of us are similar, some of us are the same, and some of us are different. There are patterns to the way we work in the world that are discernible. They are, you can see them. You, Travis, you have people that you're friends with that you think, wow, I'm a lot like that person. And then you have other people you're friends with you think, I'm not at all like that person. What are you talking about? You're talking about personality. We all know personality is an objective reality in the world. We can theologize about it, which would be really fun about creation and fall and how that all puts mm-hmm, together. Mm-hmm. That's all super interesting. We'll have to come back and do another podcast on that. But in the meantime, you just say to this guy who's kind of skeptical or resistant, like, well, you know, it's a pretty helpful tool or you know, lens in on this objective thing called personality. And furthermore, personality shapes everything about us, mm. everything about us, because it's, it's our operating system, yeah. right? You're not doing anything on your computer without the operating system. So it's our operating system. So I think that that would be just kind of a gentle, I mean, one is it's okay. Like be, feel free to never get into the Enneagram people. <laughs> you don't, you, you can still live a very productive Christian life and never touch the Enneagram. But if you want to grow in your wisdom about people, mm-hmm. which is so important for Christians and super important for leaders and super duper important for Christian pastoral leaders, then the Enneagram is a marvelous resource and wisdom tradition for you. It is 
stocked full of wise insights into what it means to be a person, and it can help you tremendously. Third thing I would say is, why don't you try it on? You know, you don't have to love it. You don't, you don't have to get married, but go on a few dates mm-hmm. with the Enneagram. Try it on. And then I would say this a little tongue-in-cheek. I would say, I don't know that I've ever met a single person. This is true, Travis. And I've talked with hundreds of people at this point. A single person who has gotten to really know the Enneagram who has not become very fond of the Enneagram. Mm. I know lots of people, and I've listened to them read blog posts and listen to their podcasts that are anxious and skeptical about the Enneagram and then come to find out they really have no acquaintance with the Enneagram. They may have intellectually analyzed it, but they have not lived with it as a hypothesis at all. Mm. That, and it's obvious from the way they talk about it. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I, I, I like how you describe it. I like how you you challenge it and you break it down. And and just to end this, let's put a little bow on this. I, oh, I, can I, can I, Travis, sorry to no, go, go for it. About your person, about the person who says I don't buy into that. That could be an eight, could be an eight, but it could be a six, could be a six. In fact, if I had to bet, I would bet it was more six energy than eight. Interesting. Because sixes are instinctively fearful of threats. So new things, they will instinctively respond to with worry and anxiety and fear. And they will then want to push back and probe and question and sift and sort and, you know, interrogate. It can look like an eight, right? A phobic, in Enneagram language, phobic sixes, counterphobic sixes as well. They can kind of have an, have an eight type of energy, but lots of times that pushback, that kind of instinctive knee-jerk pushback is, is the voice of a six, rather than an eight. And I, and I say this, I've had to learn this the hard way. I I've said to, uh, you know, my opening thing in my book is, man, I wish I would have known the Enneagram. Yeah. I would have been a much better, better pastor. Yeah, I agree. It's true. It is true. And, and, and I, and I've also said, I, you know, I'm going to overstate this, but you hope your listeners will, will hear the point of this. I, I've said to, to my colleagues in ministry and, and certainly Katie and I, I said, I think I blew out of Calvary Memorial Church over my 10 years there. I think I blew out every six. I blew them out of the church. Mm. What do I mean by that? I mean, um, I'm in a, you know, assertive, aggressive, bold, risk-taking. I love risk. If it's not risky, it's not aggressive, it's no fun. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so this is the way I led the church. We would do kind of, sharp turns and big changes and all the rest of it. But the sixes have a kind of instinctive reaction to that. They're very anxious about that. And so, Travis, you know this because you have a congregational meeting and you have the, for an eight, the dreaded question time from the congregation where you get the (laughs) microphones and they go to the microphone and they ask you, you know, and you're an eight, you're the senior pastor, you're in the eight and you're one of, you just gave your big senior pastor report and you're talking about what we're doing and where we're going and it's vision and it's awesome and here's our values and let's go team and we're rocking. And then you sit down after 20 minutes, you poured your heart out and you got all this awesome stuff going on in the church and you're trying to keep this whole pyramid of marbles together by moving the whole thing, all this kind of mission and ministry and Jesus. You sit down and now it's the Q and A time. And, and frankly, the vast majority of the questions came from sixes, in my judgment. And they were what sounded to me like pushing back on my leadership and vision. Mm. But Travis, that's not what they were doing at all. They were trying to work out their own anxieties. <laughs> that's what they were doing. It was not about me. It was about them, their own process in light of their personality and the default structure of their personality. 
That's a long way of saying to your pastor friend who said, I don't buy it. I heard that, I heard in effect, I don't buy it a thousand times from dozens of congregational meetings and Q&A times when congregants would stand up and say, I don't buy it. And my great fail, one of my failures as a pastor, a lack of awareness was to hear that and take personal affront to it as they're, as though they're challenging me because I'm an eight. And when I feel resistance, I think somebody's challenging me and I need to then push back and fight that. That's eight default. But sixes are not doing that. Sixes just want to have reassurances that everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I so wish I would have understood these dynamics, Travis. Man, it would have made me a much better pastor, a much more empathetic leader of real people with their unique personalities. Mm. That is so good because I, I agree, you know, having been in pastoral ministry over 20 years and looking back and you, I mean, and you learn as you go, but you're like so many of those conflicts could have been avoided had I known yes. their personality or mine or that's right. And, and I think it would have been so helpful then, but to, to finish off our time today, I like to put a little segment on called here's your water bottle for the week. Yes. What is this water bottle that you would give people that they could drink from? Because our theme here is you water your faith and then go water your world. And just like with Apollos watered, you know, I planted Apollos watered, but God made it Love grow. It. But water your faith. And so you can go water your world. What's their water bottle that they can take to water their world this week? Well, if I can share a story, I had a younger pastor ask me, to get together, if we could get together and have lunch. And he wanted just to ask some advice from me as an older, more experienced pastor. And the two things that came to me in the moment were these. One, get to, and you want to know like how to be a better Christian and be a better pastor. I said, first thing, get to know yourself. Get to know yourself. Counterintuitive advice from a pastor, because you would think it would say, get to know your Bible, get to know the gospel, get to know Jesus. And I don't mean to exclude that. I mean to include that when I say get to know yourself, not to have all of those glorious truths about Jesus and the Bible collapse in on myself. That's not the point. But it's a way of saying one of the fastest ways to get to know God better is to get to know yourself better. So the water bottle for people, we get to know yourself. Mm. Self-awareness is a, a learnable skill and a massively useful virtue for Christians and non-Christians alike. Get to know yourself. And with that, the second thing I said to this younger pastor is get to know your junk. <laughs> get to know your shadow side. All of us have strengths and weaknesses, or you might say gold in our personality and shadow in our personality. Be aware of increasingly the shadow of your personality, how it shows up wherever you show up, and how you can't just pray that thing away, right? We can do a lot of things to grow in character and virtue through spiritual disciplines, etc. But Enneagram work, spiritual work using the Enneagram invites us to do some of that more, what I call integrative work, integrative work, which is not just spiritual formation. It's psychological healing. It's not just where am I sinning? It's where do I have reactivity and compulsions that I can't seem to pray away or Bible verse out of existence. It's that stuff, shadow side of my personality. Get to know the shadow side of your personality and you will be a stronger, more lovely, more faithful, 
more loving Christian as a result. And I, I think what you're saying there is so true. I mean, and I, and I know you're saying in there, it's by knowing God, I think you do know a lot more about yourself when you see yes. God is, and I think Jesus is the, the perfect Enneagram type and he's the all of them. Yes. And when you know him and you know who he is and the truth of who he is, you're also able to discern, as the psalmist said, my hidden faults. My, yes. my, my personality quirks, the deficiencies in who I am, how my sinful condition manifests itself, what my flesh does, and how I can walk in this spirit. And part of that is knowing who I am. And by knowing that, then I see where the spirit, I mean, the spirit convicts me of that and shows me who yes. I am. So I, I see your point, and what you're saying is that yes, we, I mean there are the I hate to say Christianese the 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 right answer per se that we want to go through theologically, but there are the practical right. personal interactions that have been taught to us through rough experience that helps us to see God in a greater way and understand ourselves as well as understand others. Cause really it comes down to this, doesn't it? You know, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And when you understand who you are, you can love other people. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and may I just say here, Travis, our temptation in evangelicalism is to moralize and spiritualize mm -hmm. our own lives yeah. and other people's lives in a kind of behavioristic uh, performancey sort of way. One of the, you know, the, the Enneagram is really helpful in not minimizing our fallen nature, but actually forcing us to confront the depths of it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> because in personality theory, you are created in the image of God and our fallen, this is my take on how to, how to, how to, you know, how to make sense of personality theory in light of Christian theology is our personality is a very sophisticated coping mechanism. Mm. for our fallen human condition. And so when you start doing personality work, you are getting to the very sort of substratum of your fallen condition, which is not the behaviors, but it is the very, as it were, structure of who you are as a fallen creature that is like literally brain structure. Like we could have a whole podcast on this. Yeah, like, yeah. Because I've done a lot of thinking about this, like literally spiritual formation. Uh, I've said this and written on this before. Spiritual formation is brain reformation, actually, <laughs> at least in part, in a big part. Um, and this is the kind of thing the Enneagram invites you to do is like really think about how you grow as a person by being aware of the shadow side of your personality, which is the depth. And, and this is really cool, Trev. Sorry, I'm geeking out. No, that's fine. I love it. How, uh, how original sin works. How does... Sin get transmitted through human culture generation to generation to generation to generation. It's like a disease we catch. It's like COVID-19 we catch. How does this work? I'm of the view to not exclude sort of theological explanations, but to give like make theological explanations more concrete. I want to give more place to the emotional dynamics of cis family systems that we all come into the world in, whether it's a broken intact or, in, or intact one, we all arrive in the world in these emotional systems that are broken, deeply, deeply broken. And those emotional systems, by the time we're about seven years old, have done their uh, damage on us. And by about seven years old, psychologists 
psychologists will say, we're, our personality is fairly well fixed. And it therefore, from that point on, as it, as it were, we bear the marks of our, of our fallen condition in the world because of the way we've been shaped and molded. And, and, and the Enneagram invites us to do work on that, on that deep structure, which is huge, huge work, it seems to me. It is. It's it's incredible, and I mean, even as you were talking, I, I I was going through all the manifestations and illustrations to understand original sin in my head that I try to communicate to people, and I went, that is not in the scope of today's podcast. <laughs> we'll have to come yes, back exactly. And, and, we will we'll talk for hours on this stuff, and I love it. I love geeking out over this stuff because I think that we as Christians need to think more deeply. And, yes. and concretely, because we are, as you said, we uh, or my colleague says, we're five-minute people. And, yeah, that's right. And I think we need to understand, connect ourselves historically within the, the narrative of God's story, because God does invite us, as Van Hooser talks about, us performing this drama, divine drama of redemption with our lives on the stage of the world. Yes. And part of that is that's right. having not only an awareness of how to love people, but understanding who we are and how we go about loving people, which is all connected back to the Enneagram. And all yes. truth is God's Amen. truth. And Amen. And I just want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been an awesome, fun conversation. And you, you said you wouldn't be funny, but you are funny. You you are a funny dude, and uh, I don't know if that's really Cambridge appropriate for the Center for Pastor Theologians. Exactly, it's it's off brand. It's off brand, (laughs) but it's definitely appropriate for Apollo's water. (laughs) Well, there we go. Well, it's been great. It's been great being with you, man. Thanks for being such a, a great conversationalist. Really fun to to uh, talk about um, the Enneagram. I, and, and and by the way, I should say to listeners, go out and get yourself a copy of the of the Enneagram Goes to Church. I think you will be really blessed and encouraged. Buy a couple of copies and give one or two away to, to friends, neighbors, colleagues. But more importantly, grow in Christ-likeness and whole integration. Be Pursue holiness as well as wholeness as people. Awesome. Thank you, Todd. God bless you. And uh, blessings to you, brother. Get the book as well. So, uh, and we'll have you back on the show to talk about the next one. Yeah, excellent. Thanks, man. That was my conversation with Todd Wilson about his book, The Enneagram Goes to Church. If you want to learn more, I would recommend getting the book. It's actually a pretty good book. It's a quick read, but it's very insightful that you get an idea of how people operate, churches operate, and even how we go about our worship. It makes you wonder. It makes you think a little bit deeper, a little bit harder, and hopefully gives you a great deal of more patience with those around you. We also want to let you know that we have our second Apollos Watered Weekend Men's Retreat. We'll be meeting at Phantom Ranch Bible Camp in Muckwanago, Wisconsin, where we will open the Word of God and talk about how we might bloom in Babylon. We know that our world has fallen, and over the last few decades, we've seen a shift in how Christianity is being expressed in the world. How do we live in that? How do we, how do we follow Jesus? How do we be faithful in a world that tempts us at every turn? That's what we're going to be talking about, so I would encourage you to join me on Friday, April 23rd, 2021, to Sunday, April 25th of 2021, and our theme is Thriving in Babylon. You can sign up at phantomranch.org events. That's phantomranch.org events, and we'd love to see you there. 
Today's episode was sponsored in part by Kathy Brothers of Keller Williams Innovate. If you're looking to buy or sell a home in the Chicagoland area, then call Kathy Brothers of Keller Williams Innovate and her team. She is trustworthy and cares about her clients. I know, and I can say this because I am one of them. She's my agent, and I am proud to say that. She met with us and learned what we were looking for, presented us with the best options, and helped us find what was right for us. And she didn't only help us purchase a home, but is regularly checked in to see how we are doing. Who does that? She's attentive to your needs and style and comes alongside you to help you discover and find what is best for you. Give her a call or text today at 630-201-4664. That's 630-201-4664. That's Kathy Brothers of Keller Williams Innovate. Tell her Travis sent you. If this episode has helped you so that you can water your world, then would you do us a favor? First of all, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, interact with us on our in, our social media pages, and share this episode with other people. And I want to give a shout out to our awesome team, Kevin O'Brien, Eliana Fleming, Rebecca Badal, and Brian Dana. Water your faith, water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Watered. Stay watered, everybody.